Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, so today, I'm uh, excited to uh, be here and talk with today's guest. Today's guest is referred to as a catalyst, a strategist, and a coach to uh, a number of C-suite executives, uh, particularly uh, executives and, and entrepreneurs. Uh, today's guest um, will focus on, on emotions and leadership. And I know a lot of times uh, especially in the way leadership was was previously viewed, is that uh, leaders often have to kind of check their emotions at the door. And uh, today's guest is going to talk about the importance of of emotions and leadership. And so I'm pleased to welcome uh, from the UK, who's who's dialed in live from the UK, uh, David Lansfield. Welcome, David. Thank you very much, Brian. Great to be here. Lovely. Yes. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, it's great to have you. And I, I've read a number of the pieces that you've written uh, for the Harvard uh, Business Review. And I know there are a number of other places where your materials uh, have been published. And so I'm excited. I know that uh, I've had some of my colleagues who've attended the London Business School where you are uh, have mm. also served as a guest lecturer, um, and so you you certainly come with a a real expertise in this area. And and so, um, but before we start talking about emotions and leadership, tell me a little bit about um, your background and and what actually got you here to where you you've written a number of pieces, but where you it's been a part of of the advice that you've given to uh, the individuals that you've coached. Yeah, thanks, Brian. So about three years ago, I made quite a big switch in my life to becoming my own, as you say, catalyst, strategist and coach. I was a senior partner in a big consultancy, uh, which I enjoyed. I sort of started as a postgraduate and worked my way up and stayed for 24 years, 14 years as a partner. Um, and what was became apparent as I got closer to some of these clients uh, was that actually they were in pretty big moments, you know, making big decisions, negotiations, deals. And yes, they've done the work, they've done the analysis, but actually it was how they felt, how others felt at the time that would in some ways make or break um, those moments. Mm -hmm. And so I was intrigued that although we talk about emotions a lot, increasingly about our own emotions in coaching and personal development. And so the, the, the topic is not new, mm -hmm. but how you apply it and how you understand it and how you frankly mitigate some of those emotions sometimes um, in my work over the last few years in particular, it's become a bigger, bigger topic. And I think part of that is because some people have obviously struggled post post pandemic. Some sure. people, you know, we're in quite a fragile space. And I think rather than just sort of putting a mask on, shutting it down, or on the other on the flip side, um, making it all about emotions, we have to be a little bit more skillful about how we understand them and how we you know access them. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I know that um, we, as you you have have heard that I'm, I'm the director of a program at Columbia University in leadership uh, school, uh, building leadership, and um, for probably the past 
uh, 17 years or so, we've had a major component of our program in what we call social emotional learning. And before that, uh, I, I always refer to it as before uh, social emotional learning became sexy in the in the uh, common language around uh, what leaders needed to be aware of. We we have long held this position of uh, that leaders need to know who they are, know who it's a, so we, we hold at its front, know thyself. And so we spend a lot of time giving our uh, our candidates, our our participants in the program, a lot of of assessments, and one is an emotional leadership assessment, um, where just to hold up a mirror and yeah. seeing that to be very effective around just exposing them to their own, like being aware of what triggers them, what drives them, and so part of what I just heard you say about. Uh, about decisions that they're making, uh, often even when we try to separate our emotional, how we show up emotionally, it it stays there. So, um, yeah, what would you say is the is the the real impact that that portion of your work has with leaders? That that emotional uh, regulation, if you will, uh, how how big is that in the work that you do? I think it's absolutely fundamental. Mm. I, I didn't quite realise. I felt as though I'm quite late to this. Even okay. It's probably been there for quite a while. Yes, yes. But if you think about the big moments in, you know, in a leader's you know, schedule, you know, for in the in the day of the week, it could be a board meeting. It could be a big pitch to an investor. You can think of those big moments. And I think people are more, through your good work and others, you know, more aware of themselves. The question I've been asking in my work and in my writing is, okay, so you know yourself, what does that actually mean in that moment? Say, for example, mm. if you're uh, you're just about to launch a big initiative, you might mm. be a big deal, a big partnership or doing a big acquisition, and you know yourself, or perhaps you know of somebody else, you are overly confident as a person. You're bullish. You, know, you, you think the best. You think everything's an opportunity. That can be motivating. It can be, you know, it's great to have somebody like that who's around, very positive. But the challenge is that obviously um, you may be too bullish. You might not be thinking rationally about it. Mm. So the real exercise I, I try and do with people is to say, okay, so you know of yourself or perhaps others have given you feedback or advice that you are overconfident. What can you do about it? Sure. Sure. And I think that's the gap. And what you could do about it, for example, is having literally somebody in the team around you who's perhaps more cautious or perhaps you could look back at some of your previous initiatives or big decisions and and look back and say, okay, how did they turn out compared to how I expected them? So it's the the actions you can take, not necessarily just to repress your emotions, but if you like, use them to the best. Because being overconfident can be motivating, but can lose you money. Right, right. He's right, trying to get right. the balance between oh, the two. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, do you how? So you you have said you think it's fundamental. Uh, do many of your leaders recognize that up front? Um, I you know I I have uh, <laughs> coached a number of leaders and and often uh, I have found I think about one client that I I I had and I was often going back to but you have a choice as to how you respond to that. So yes, 
that's what they said, but you can respond differently. And and it's it's almost new to so many people about uh, examining their emotional response to to things that don't go well. For example, oh, yeah, yeah, I find I find that some people, if you like, risen through the ranks and done well in life, and frankly, not had difficulties, professional, personal, or perhaps who can come from quite a narrow lifestyle yes. and perhaps they haven't had haven't had struggles or they haven't had difficulties um you know everything's been the, the you know, they've been the a star student all the way through their life oh, i know that i'm yeah. not suggesting that they don't understand their emotions but uh how much if, in my own personal work how much do they really appreciate uh how emotions can help or hinder them not as much as somebody who perhaps had a more you know colorful um broad you know experience and I, this is about going from recognition, which for many people is a, is a foundation that they haven't invested in. Because, and sometimes that's if you've got a great leadership team around you, perhaps you've got your own coach or mentor, perhaps it's somebody in your personal life who yes. gives you a sense of who you are. It's then say, okay, practically, what and when can I really start using it um, to make smarter, wiser decisions and take action? And that's the piece where. You not only have to trust yourself and know yourself, but also trust other people. And you know, there's one extreme. I know somebody I'm working with. He would be quite open to say, "I'm feeling a little bit insecure as the motion about this situation because it's new. I've not worked in that market before. Don't know the culture very well." He's pretty confident in himself as a person, and he's got a team around him where there's a lot of psychological safety. That's relatively rare. Yeah. In other cases, uh, it's, if you like, asking the right questions of others and surrounding yourself with people who amplify you, compliment you, or in some cases, challenge you without saying, oh, by the way, I'm a control freak, or, you know, I'm the I'm the really overconfident one, or the insecure one, or the other emotional sort of things that come up. It's quite rare to, for those sorts of people uh, to operate, particularly in large corporations, where there's often a tension and a lack of trust. Yes, yes. And you mentioned briefly about the personal side and uh, what I often also hear, especially among those that are aspiring leaders, they talk about, um, they've been warned about home life balance and and they often mention this, uh, what I refer to as kind of a false uh, separation uh, that they say, mm -hmm. well, I'm this person when I'm at home, and then I'm this person when I am at work. And, and, and so there are a couple of things I want to ask about that. But I guess first is from the emotional piece, that there are things that happen in our personal lives or in our lives outside of those that are immediately uh, kind of that immediately touch our work world, but personal, uh, just even on the way to work. And so um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about kind of the separation, yeah. uh, because a lot of people really believe that when they say, oh, you should have left that at home or you should, you know, you should have you that that has nothing to do with work. And it's an emotional uh, component to that person's life. Um, 
like i'd love to hear your thoughts about that that's such a great such a great topic and i think misunderstood and uh, in many by many people i don't believe in complete separation I, and i believe that people who wear masks yeah. um on top on their professional self yeah. are soon found out yeah and if they're leading a team or an organization where they are asking a lot of people you know, it's a big effort you're restructuring the organization you're trying to go faster and be fitter yeah. <laughs> as a place yeah. And you are sharing very little of yourself as you ask more from them. It, it's, it's not a good deal. And would you work for somebody where you literally knew nothing about them in outside work? I don't think many of us would. Yeah. However, so there's something about, I don't think that passes the integrity test in terms of not knowing them at all. And similarly, if you put it, I, I candidly, when I was a part, I became a partner when I was 32, which is quite young. I put on a little bit of a mask because I was often patronized by people who were older than me. Um, you know, who who are you? And it's like, well, I, I was actually the most senior person in the room. <laughs> and after a while, it became wearing. It becomes tiring to do that as an individual. And I also, and I luckily have a very loving and grounded family around me. They're like, this is who you are. Be skillful with it. Yeah. But you shouldn't have to change yourself. It's only a job and it shouldn't change your identity. So putting a mask on, having complete separation doesn't work. Similarly, on the other hand of the spectrum, being somebody who is completely open yeah. and lets everything from their personal life um, come out at work, whether that's what's happened at the weekend, influencing what you do at work, or whether it's um, disclosing everything about your personal or family life, to some, whether it's somebody close to you or not, that doesn't work either. Mm -hmm. um, and I ha it's about being skillful in your disclosure. So who you are as a person before you got the role and when you're doing the role, the leadership role, yes. of course influences. And you want to get a flavour of it. The question is, what's relevant to the role? Mm -hmm. And how do you compartmentalise? So if you've had a difficult weekend, for whatever reason, you've had arguments, you've been in hospital, um, I don't think you should necessarily hide that with people you know, but do they really need to know every detail? Yeah. Um, and if if it means for a period of time that you are not at your best, that may be an hour and so forth, then okay. But don't let it don't let the contagion overtake your professional performance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's something around be skillful in your disclosure share what's relevant share what you think people will be interested in and frankly many people are not as interested in you as you think they should be mm -hmm. and that's a hard thing to say and i don't wish to be overly controversial yes. but you yes. sort of say oh i'm let, let, let's meet up let's do some networking let me tell you all about every aspect of my life it's like okay what is the contract between us and what's the relationship and if it's professional then bring it in over time but don't let it dominate Right, right. Um, well, and there are a few points that you've made that I, I, I think are really worth exploring. Uh, one uh, that is not a skill set a lot of leaders, but a lot of people in, just in general have, and I'm going to refer to it as acknowledging their emotional status. So you mentioned that uh, that it's okay to talk about when you're not a hundred percent, but actually just being able to say that in a way that's not threatening to the team in terms of the team survival or even their confidence in you as the leader, but that often can be used also for them to see you as human, yes. uh, see your humanity and saying that 
um, you recognize that. And it also gives them license that when that's where they are to say the same, that I want to know. So because sometimes that's when the team really can be a team is that there's something that, and we're not talking about someone functioning, being able to show up and function at 25%, but that where if I seem a little slow on the uptake, uh, there's some things without going into a lot of detail, uh, you know, as you know, I have a kid going off to college, or as you know, yes. I have an aging parent or what have you, yes. that that's just enough to let people know that there's a human side of you that is struggling in some other way, other places, and, and that you know, just asking for some grace in the process. That's such a great way to put it in terms of asking for some grace. And for me, Brian, is the question is how much and how often yeah. and in what situations. Yeah. yeah. If it's an ongoing commentary, then and it's sort of every time you meet, if you're one of the team and you're looking up to that leader, and every time you meet individually in your one-to-one -one or a group meeting, you get some form of commentary about what's going on outside. That can be too much, unless it is a very substantive issue and we had somebody in our team who you know who's um whose you know wife was recovering from cancer now we didn't need a running commentary but to say nothing would have been you know not right either so it's about finding the moments um being proportionate as well because if you gain if you put yourself in the shoes and the mindset of the other people you know you want them to to ask you questions raise challenges share ideas if it helps them do that because that, that bond and that humanity, fine. But if that's your only narrative and if that's your only memorable narrative, mm. that may be a touch too far. And that's the fascinating and tricky aspect of this problem, which is mm. um, it is a very, it's a deeply personal decision about what you share and how. Yeah. Yes. And also you have to find, make serious judgments about what the others um, expect and can take. Yes. I've worked with people who frankly... Uh, I knew that if I shared a little bit, I mean, I've gone through various crises with my son, who's very disabled. If I shared a little bit with some people, they wouldn't be able to process it because uh -huh. they've said, I've heard them say that with other people. Uh -huh. but in that case, my judgment is I'm going to keep some of that to my, I'm going to keep that to myself because I don't think it's right for them. Now, another person in the team who I, I had a bond with and I think could, could, you know, has shown interest, I might give them a glimmer. It's a really skillful act um, because, again, too much doesn't help. Too little, you right. can come across as inhuman. Yes. Oh, no, absolutely. Thank you for that. Very, very powerful. Um, the second part that I did want to uh, also acknowledge was um, you mentioned uh, the person who came to you and said that they were feeling um, uh, a little bit, I think you said, uh, insecure or yeah. Um, yeah. or uncomfortable but but that also knowing enough from a leadership perspective about your emotions um to be able to label them is that whether you acknowledge them to other people or not but but i just think about some of the things that you could acknowledge personally like the like 
in this moment, I am uncomfortable. In this moment, I'm disappointed or I am disturbed by something. Just being yeah. able to reflect on that and label it. I know personally that when I've been able to, to really say I and, and kind of reflect on what I'm feeling, I can get at the root of, well, that doesn't have anything to do really with what was said. It's more about my, what I brought to it. And then I can deal with that in a different way. Um, yeah. So I think that's something, what, what do you yeah. advise about, you know, leaders, uh, aspiring leaders uh, to be able to get to that space? Uh, is that something that mm -hmm. someone, someone works with you to process or are there things that one can do to get better at that? Yeah, so I'm I'm a big fan of doing situational work. Mm. You know, we're preparing for something or we're in the moment or we're reflecting on it afterwards. So it's mm. real, tangible rather than just something um, esoteric. And so the labeling thing works very well. I, I'm a big fan. I use that. And that's all around creating some distance. Mm. It's like if you're like looking, if you're behind you and looking over you and saying, okay, what is that person thinking or feeling at the moment and of course it's you but it's trying to create a di distance it's trying to create a bit of a um like a, a, a you're trying to invoke some wisdom side of you where you can be a little bit dispassionate to say yes that's how i'm feeling okay i have some choices now and i'm a, I'm a strategy person by background i have some choices now and one choice is to let that overwhelm me right just let it go it's not necessarily a choice but you could do another one is and what does that give me well, in most cases, it limits your sphere of thought. It gives you tunnel vision. It narrows you because you become overwhelmed with a particular emotion. Or I can sit with it, realize I feel a bit uncomfortable, and then I can start triggering some options. Mm. And that's where the op and it's all around tricking optionality intentionally. So I'm feeling insecure in this moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm not going to talk about it because I don't feel I've got that trust with my team in one scenario, but who when i work with them brings me up mm -hmm. who's the person who potentially knows something i don't know you start looking at options and actions and that's where the power of recognizing your emotion and actually using its fuel to do better work rather than actually limiting you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and 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 speaking of so the limitations um would you describe those as uh the the effectiveness you have as a leader so you have your teams that that follow you they trust you uh that the emotional component um really so it can help you but what you mentioned in terms of limiting would you describe that as limiting your effectiveness as a leader yes and yeah. for me it's about clarity it limits your clarity of thought so most of the people I work with are in high pressure, high stakes, complex situations where they've got a lot of pro lot to process, mm. information, insight, intuition, it's fast paced. If you don't have a sufficient handle on your emotional state, and when I mean sufficient handle, it means it's not just saying, oh, sorry, just ignore it or just push it away. I'll leave that for the weekend. It's saying, okay, I know how I'm feeling. I'm feeling that anxious about mm. this situation. Um, then it's around if you you know if you don't it impedes your ability to think 
Um, and what often happens is that people go on autopilot. Oh, I've been in this situation before. Let me just invoke the past and I'll do exactly the same because it's com- comfortable, right? Yeah. That's, you know, past is not a great predictor of the, <laughs> of the future. Yeah. Yeah. Autopilot comes on. Yeah. Similarly, you tend to go to your, the people you're comfortable with. So, and it, again, it narrows the group of people you work with. Ah, I, these are the people who, frankly, will make me feel good as mm. opposed to the people who inform me. So mm. it narrows your circle of people. And actually, in terms of your exploration of new avenues, pathways and for a solution to a complex issue, mm. um, you, you often see myopia. Yeah. Uh, and you often see a very a narrowness. So this is real. This is real stuff. It's not soft emotional stuff that people think, often think it. This is if you are a leader making complex value, you know, value, valuable decisions on behalf of the organ. If you don't get a handle on it and channel it, you you will not just be in a lacking in effectiveness. You may be damaging the organisation. So this is very. I, I'm positioned. I'm a commercial person. This is about frankly money and impact. Yeah. Not just about being, being feeling better. Yeah, yeah. No, but that no, might happen too. <laughs> no, right, right, right. No, no. Uh, well taken. Um, so most of what we've been talking about has been about individuals and the emotional space. What do you What do you say about group emotion? Um, mm. Because I, th- I personally, I think we we underestimate sometimes how groups take on emotional statuses as well um uh, and those can be teams small groups or they can be larger and and some of that is about how leadership not necessarily just one individual but a leadership team but how uh they show up as well so what what about group uh emotional dynamics so for me the starting point is inviting and encouraging people to say what they think mm. that's easy to say and that's hard to do yes right. uh, but it's about inviting people to share perspectives experiences with full attention so not being interrupted not people talking over them which often happens to people from groups that are underestimated or underrepresented um by people in groups that are overestimated for example white males so that's that's something. So so listen attentively, encourage people to say what they think. That's a really strong foundation. That's that's not to suggest that people will then express their emotions, because that's too much to ask and actually too much to assume. But you're starting a conversation and you what you're doing is people, some people will give direct signals, some people will give indirect signals. And then for me, there's something about being at the same time, whilst you have that more open dialogue, at the same time, being careful not to overgeneralize. I've seen some people take two or three loud or prominent people in a group and then assume that the rest of the group feel feel the same, which is not, not the case. Oh, everyone's feeling a bit unhappy here. Actually, no, you've heard three of out of the eight people feeling unhappy. The, the, the rest of the five could be actually okay. So be careful to overgeneralize. But I think there's something about um, rather than talking about the emotion per se, calling out perhaps the, some of the symptoms. So conflict is a is a topic that people often avoid in leadership teams. It's easier to be to nod, it's a nod and yes and smile and actually they don't agree at all. But actually at the beginning of a conversation, saying, "I recognise we have different views here. 
we're disagreeing and there's some conflict and I recognize for some of that that might feel uncomfortable so some of us that might feel you're calling out an emotion right I want to hear everyone's perspectives and I want to work through some of the disagreements so what you're doing is allowing people to and encouraging people to speak calling out the impact of perhaps some of that emotional feeling and but doing some work on it as opposed to getting into either that overgeneralization, extrapolation, or also I've been in some meetings myself where we've talked a lot about the emotion and it didn't, frankly, after a while, it's like, okay, so what are we actually going to do? What are we actually going to do about it? That didn't help. So those are some of the things I actually work on with leadership teams. Yes. And and what you've just mentioned, I, I will say, now I'm, I'm not um, using this as a as a plug for you know all consultants out there, but someone as skilled as, as you are uh, in doing that, it's a it's very different from a leader um, uh, um, trying to make this kind of impact and that kind of headway uh, without a real master facilitator, uh, someone that really understands it in the way that you do. Um, but also I think about, because I've, I've seen and been a part of where leaders try to host their own, you know, they say, we're going to have a retreat. And in this retreat, we're going to have, these are the things that we're going to accomplish. And they are not like, you, you know, they're not skilled at doing that. And that's not a, a bad reflection on them. I mean, some, like I said, someone as skilled as you are about it, because this is your work. This is what you do. Mm -hmm. And you've made uh, you've made great effort to understand it at a very deep level, but also you have experience of other organizations and other situations that you can bring and and hear things that you know ah this is an indication of X or mm -hmm. Y. Um, so I do think it's worth saying here that where organizations can and there's a need to explore these areas that someone like yourself or they identify someone with the real expertise to do that bring them in and let them help where one the leader can be a full participant mm -hmm. uh, and not not be biased in any way yes. yeah. but, but also really be able to capture uh, what's happening and really make a difference that's kind of you to say I have seen leaders who can do it yeah. uh, it requires them to be able to wear different hats I call them different you know the thinking hats at different times and they have to be very skillful at explicitly signaling that actually I'm moving from being the chair to a participant or I'm going to be here I'm going to be more challenging or here I'm going to be more of a catalyst or an ideas person um, and that requires them to be very present, requires them to have perhaps less of an ego than perhaps many leaders have. But, but you know, but it is it is possible. Yeah. I think that the key thing is that um, to separate out your like, ask of the team around you from any any sharing that you do. And let me explain what I mean by that. So I've seen some people say, I'm really angry about this or I'm very upset about this topic. And... And then they and then they explain it and people say, I knew that already, but you're just telling me anyway. But then they invite others to share how they're feeling about the topic. And it's too much too soon. I see. And so there is something about how you if there is a level of tension in a leadership team over a period of time, it's looking at it analytically and forensically and saying, 
what are the most effective moments I can use as a leader to call it out, express it? So one example would be I worked for somebody who he said in a speech that had nothing to do with the topic at all. It just came out and said, I've often felt like an imposter um, mm. in new leadership roles. It just came up in the topic of a broader speech, but it was a conscious act, I learned afterwards, to just send a signal of, I'm human, and actually I have feelings too. So then when he wanted to have a conversation with his leadership team about how we you know, increase our confidence in certain moments, it wasn't, let me tell you my story now, it was triggering a memory, which is, oh, he's already shared some of that. So it's finding particular moments to sprinkle an essence, if you like, of your, of your sense, uh, yeah. self to other people, and then being able to activate that in certain moments. And that, I think it is skillful, but it's certainly possible. But it, it requires diligence and dedication to saying, this is an important topic, not what somebody described to me being, that we've got the business, we're in the business. Some of this emotional stuff, um, uh, you know, psychological stuff is, is on the business on top. Once we've done the real work, will then cover the emotion and the psychology stuff. That's wrong. It's the foundation, it's the heart of doing business. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, I know that uh, after hearing you, there are a number of people who are also going to want to know how to find you. I know you have uh, your own podcast, uh, Lanceville on the Line uh, for Strategic Leaders. Um, but you, as I mentioned earlier, where I first was exposed to you in the Harvard uh, Business Review. Um, but um, what if there are other social media uh, places, emails, websites, um, where can people follow you, encourage you, and 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 be uh, informed the way I've been by your by your writing? That's very kind, Brian. So I'm active on LinkedIn. I share regular posts and encourage conversations and dialogue on that, not just do the usual bragging. Although I'm sure we all do a bit of that. So I'm there. Um, DavidLancefield.com houses all of my um, writing the podcast, the videos, and and quite a lot of free resources as well for leaders. I'm a big fan of not only doing private work with people, but sharing that to a bigger bigger audience. Um, and and David David at davidlancefield.com is my email, and okay. I'm happy to engage with people if I if they feel I can help in any shape or form. Yes, thank you, thank you so much. I'll certainly be tuning in and watching uh, uh, for your next installment. Uh, I appreciate uh, the work that you've done. You've added to me today, and I'm sure people listening in as well. Uh, next time you're in New York City, please give me a shout, and absolutely, uh, and let's get some tea. Likewise in London. Likewise in London. <laughs> Will do. Uh, until then, go well, stay well. <laughs>